On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, a clear look at the Model 3 back seat reveals a number of amenities missing from Tesla's other vehicles, plus Elon Musk clips from the National Governors Association summer meeting, Tesla thefts in Europe, and more. everybody, welcome to the 103rd episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for July 23rd, 2017. I'm Ryan McCaffrey joining you as always from San Francisco, California here on the eve, the near eve, uh, depending especially when you listen to this, of the Model 3 delivery event. That is coming up on Friday, July 28th. Doors open at 7 Pacific Show starts, or the the Elon Musk remarks, as they have phrased it in the invite, at 9 p.m. That is quite late for you East Coast folks, but uh, I imagine a number of you are probably going to want to stay up just to see it, just to feel, you know, be part of the the, uh, enthusiasm. That is, of course, assuming that Tesla live streams it. They have not yet said if they will uh, as of when I'm recording this. However... They've live streamed just about every other major Tesla event. I mean, even back with the solar roof tile unveil, which was like a 10-minute presentation, they live streamed that. So I would suspect that this will get a live stream. Uh, so I would I would expect to see that right on Tesla.com uh, in the you know uh, in in the usual way you'd expect it. I mean, at one of these days, Tesla should start stream live streaming to YouTube. Because that's less crash prone, you know. Tesla's the the demand to see Tesla streams has brought down the servers in the past, so we'll see. Hopefully, they can uh, they're they're ready to go. They've got a good plan, but that is coming up now. As such, I wanted to uh, just send out a polite reminder to those of you who support me on Patreon and uh, utilize your early access perk, which is the five dollar and up tier. The show will not be particularly early. A little bit early. It'll be done on Saturday, probably Saturday night, honestly, uh, and then, you know, set to publish as usual for first thing Sunday morning. But because the event is happening, the the Model 3 event is happening late Friday night, uh, I'm not going to be able to do the show until Saturday. Got to come home, collect my thoughts, get some rest, and uh, and then go ahead and put the show together on Saturday. So, uh, that is when you can look for it. Now let's get on to the week's Tesla news. Turns out, again, all, almost as usual, fairly busy Tesla week. I want to start with the Model 3 back seats. They were photographed. Uh, more and more of the production cars are being spotted. They, I'll tell you, Tesla, they're, they're not hiding these things away in a back corner of Fremont uh, to, be, to be stashed until next Friday. They, they've been parking them out around, like they're, they're accessible on the grounds uh, of, of the Fremont factory. If you go there, they seem to be just hanging around. Uh, VIN number seven, production number seven, which is a blue car with the 19-inch wheels, is out there. Uh, there's, they're, they're hanging out. So uh, somebody did photograph the car from the outside, and we got a really, really good look at the back seat. Now, there's some interesting things here. Uh, both not only for Model 3 reservation holders, obviously, because this is the car we're getting, 
but also for you Model S and Model X owners because of some of the things that Tesla has added to the Model 3 that are as yet not not on uh, the S and the X, not, par- not a part of their interior. So uh, first up, there are seat pockets on the backs of the front seats. So, you know, if you want to put some magazines or something back there or, or you know, put, put your iPad in there and run your headphone cord out of it uh, for, for the folks in the back seat, you can do that. The Model S and the Model X do not currently have that. There are storage cubbies. We knew they had them in the doors, uh, you know, the, the bottom part of the, the front doors, but they also have them in, uh, built into the, the rear doors as well, the second row doors. So that's, that was interesting to see. The middle seat backrest uh, f- appears to fold down into an armrest for the other, for the, for the uh, you know, driver and passenger side second row occupants. That's a, that's a nice little touch. You get a little nice little armrest there. That's appreciated. A super, super duper little thing that uh, it's so little that it, it doesn't even matter. I'm just pointing it out for the sake of observation. But the, the seat belt release buttons, you know, the, the button you press to uh, unbuckle your seat belt, it's the traditional red color on all this, despite the black interior car. And on the S and the X, that, that button is actually color matched to the interior of your car. So if you have the white interior, it's a white button, a black interior, black button, uh, and tan interior. Actually, I haven't been in a tan car lately, but I would assume it's tan. The button in there is tan as well. But I know for sure in the black interior S and X, it's a black button, and in the white interior, it's a it's a white button. So I just thought that was a, a silly little thing worth noting. Also in the back seat, there are two USB ports on the back of the center console, uh, which is uh, is thus right there for the second row occupants to plug their their devices into. So that'll be good for. Uh, in my case, my daughter is, uh, we have a little kids, uh, well, she calls it her iPad, but it's, it's the, it's a Kindle, but it's like the kid version that has, it's like, it's got the big, thick kid proof wrap on it to, you know, to protect it against drops. And it's got the, it's got like the kid layer of UI, uh, software on it. And she can, she can look at, uh, look at books on there. She mostly uses it for audiobooks, but you know, the battery in that thing isn't super great. So I know for, for us, uh, she'll be able to just plug in. It'll be useful to just be able to plug that Kindle right into one of those two USB charger, uh, USB ports there to, to uh, power that device. Also on the back of the center console are air vents for the HVAC system. So heat, uh, whether you're heating or cooling, those second row passengers will be able to uh, get that air coming back there. So that's, that's really great too. Particularly when you remember that, uh, for, I think most of us whose model, basically any of us whose model three is going to be our first Tesla, which I suspect is, you know, it's the, it's the majority of us. Uh, we're not used to having an app that we can use to precondition the cabin of our cars. So, uh, being able to to do that through your app and having that vent back there uh, will only help 
the uh, second row temperature get to where you want it e uh, more quickly than it would if you were if you had to use just that front uh, HVAC strip to to uh, condition the entire car. So that's that's super nice too. Now this is all really great stuff. Um, however, <laughs> I just to head it off. I know some of you are thinking this. I know I shouldn't be celebrating too much about something that Tesla's arguably should have had from the beginning and that you know many, many other cars already have. You know, things like the USB ports and rear rear seat uh, air vents and uh, you know the middle middle the middle seat folding down into an armrest and, and storage pockets in the doors. But you know what? Hey, Tesla hasn't had it up until now. It's it's okay to be happy about it. I mean, uh, it's great. It's great to see. And I wonder, you know, you can expect all this stuff to work its way into the S and X uh, as well. If not very soon, then then certainly when those cars get their uh, redesigns in the coming years. And again, I, I suspect that the S redesign is is closer than the X. But in any case, uh, this this uh, this this got me thinking of a conversation that I was a part of a while back, a long time ago. This was actually like late 2015. It was several months before the Model 3 unveil. I happened to be at an event where there were a number of Tesla employees there. And, you know, I was talking about the car saying, you know, because I told them I was this, you know, nutcase <laughs> that was doing a weekly Tesla podcast. Uh, and I said, oh, you know, I can't wait. For, I'm, I'm going to reserve the Model 3. Can't wait. And, they, and this person said to me something that stuck in my head, even uh, right from then up, up through the reveal and, and even up till now. Uh, the person said, wait until you see what we've done with the interior. And now that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I feel okay saying that now. You know, I don't want to, I would never want to betray anybody's trust not that that was some big scoop or anything and uh but yeah like now that now that the car is done and the car is coming out in you know seven days as i record this officially so i feel like yeah it's 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 okay to to, to mention that so uh it it's now clear that that person clearly had reason to say that to me this the model 3 interior while not a radical departure for cars in general, I mean the the front kind of is you know the dashboard with the no you know just one giant air vent and the the just one landscape oriented 15 inch touchscreen. I mean that's fairly radical. The back seat is certainly more of the traditional stuff that you expect, but all told, this is uh, definitely a, it, it's a it's an overall radical departure for Tesla, certainly a radical departure up front. And it's, it's at the very least, it's a big step up in, in function for the back seats. So uh, it's looking great. Legroom looks pretty good from what, what we can see. And certainly from what I remember from riding in the Alpha prototype on March 31st at the event last year. So uh, won't be long now. I hope to get a chance to sit in it again this Friday at the event, and, and certainly I look forward to having a lot more to report to you guys uh, after the event on Friday. I want to move now to 
a series of Elon Musk clips. Elon gave a, a lengthy interview at the National Governors Association summer meeting. So there were 30-something governors in the room, and Elon was the keynote speaker there, and it was Nevada, Nevada's governor, Brian Sandoval. Uh, he, he was the one that actually conducted the interview with Elon. And I've picked out some of the most interesting and, of course, for this podcast, Tesla-specific quotes. So here, you know, barely a show goes by where I don't uh, parrot the Tesla mission statement. And, but here it is again. Here's Elon reiterating the mission statement of Tesla. But listen to the slight twist that he puts on it. Uh, that, uh, you know, we're doing what we can to uh, have the future be be as good as possible, um, to be inspired by what is likely to happen, um, and to look forward to the next day. Um, so that's that's what really really drives me is 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 trying to figure out uh, how do we how to make sure that things are great and um, and going to be so, and um, that's the underlying principle behind uh, Tesla and SpaceX um, is that um, I think it's, it's, it's pretty important that we accelerate the transition to uh, sustainable generation and consumption of energy. Um, it, it's inevitable, but it's, it matters if, we ha- if it happens sooner or later. You know, it's too bad Elon didn't elaborate on the sooner or later part of that because I, I want to know exactly what he means. Hopefully, though, Model 3 will help it happen sooner. Next, here is what Elon would ask the room full of governors he was speaking to. The question was, what would you... It was basically, what would you have us do, Elon? And this, <laughs> this was Elon's response to the room full of governors. Well, it, it sure is important to get the, the rules right. Um, and... Um, you know, it's sort of, uh, in, in terms of legislative and executive actions, um, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, if you think of, say, like professional sports or something, if you, if you don't have the rules right, if there isn't, uh, uh, you know, um, if, it, if, it, if, it, if, the, if the game isn't set up properly, it's not going to be a, a good game. Um, so it's real important to get the, the rules right. Um, now, I think it's, it's worth noting that I think still um, in the United States the rules are still better than anywhere else. Um, um, but um, the you know it, it's it's very easy to put something in place which is an inhibitor to to innovation without realizing it. Um, so in terms of um, the regulatory environment, uh, uh, it's it's always important to bear in mind that. Uh, regulations uh, are immortal, um, and they, 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 they never die unless somebody act, actually goes and kills them, and then they, they get a lot of momentum. So a lot of times regulations can be put in place for, for all the right reasons, um, but then nobody goes back and gets rid of them afterwards when they no longer make sense. Um, you know, the, uh, and there used to be a rule in the early days when people were concerned about automobiles because that was a pretty scary thing to see a carriage just going wrong by itself. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know what those things might do. Um, so there were like rules where you had to 
in a lot of states where you had to carry a lantern in front of the automobile. Um, and it had to be like 100 paces ahead of the automobile. There had to be someone with a lantern on a pole. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But you should really get rid of that regulation. And they did, you know. Um, <laughs> so it would really be awkward. Um, so, um, so just regulations, even if done correctly and, for, and, and being right at the time, it's always important to go back and, and scrub those, you know, periodically to make sure they're still sensible and they're still serving the greater good. Um, I think uh, in terms of tax structure, to, to what, what, is, what is economically incented and what is, what is not economically incented, just make sure that the incentive structure is, is correct. I, mean, I think I'm saying just totally common sense things here. Um, but um, it's economics 101. Whatever you, whatever you incent will happen. Um, so the, if you incent one thing, that thing will tend to happen more than the other thing. If you send another thing, that, that thing will happen. Um, and so the, the economics should favor innovation. Um, and, um, and this is particularly important to uh, protect uh, small to medium-sized companies. Um, because it's sort of like trying to grow a tree in a forest. Like it's real hard for a new company to, to grow. Um, when it's just a seedling or a sapling, uh, it needs a lot more protection um, than if it's a giant redwood or something like that. So uh, very important to uh, give support to small and uh, small to medium-sized companies on the innovation front. Um, and um, they're the ones that, that need it more than the big companies. And I, I think this point has is almost big company, biggish company anyway. Um, so I, I'd favor, you know, supporting uh, smaller companies in Tesla, uh, relatively speaking. I think it's fairly clear that Elon is alluding to dealership laws uh, in the first part of that, and then tax incentives on, on electric vehicles versus subsidies for oil. To me, the key thing he said right there the, the economics should favor innovation. I thought that was, uh, that was the real key quote out of that. And, and I, I, I mean, I certainly agree with him. It's, it would be great if uh, the laws and regulations would favor innovation and for getting things like Tesla done and things like sustainable energy done. Next, uh, this is Elon... Uh, again, not so much, this isn't the mission statement per se, but he, Elon was asked, what is his goal for Tesla? The actual goal of the company. Uh, so you'll hear him reiterate the mission statement, but then he goes into a little bit more detail on, on what that specifically, what the acceleration part of the goal means. So check this out. Um, and then we established probably at least uh, two or three more uh, gigafactories in the U.S. in the next several years, um, as well as uh, a couple overseas. Um, but the overall objective of Tesla it, it's, is, is really what, what set of actions can we take to accelerate the advent of sustainable production and consumption of energy? Um, and um, I, I think the, the, the sort of, the way, the way I would assess the historic good of Tesla is in terms of, of, how, of what that, how many years of acceleration was it? You know, and if we can accelerate sustainable energy by 10 years, I would consider that to be a great success. 
hope even if it was only five years, that would still be pretty good. Um, that that's the that's the that's the overarching optimization. You know, I've never heard him break it down like that before. That the fact that he's measuring that acceleration by the speed at which the acceleration to, as he now phrases it, the sustainable production and consumption of energy happens. And it's, it's uh, curious to hear him say that 10 years, if he, accel- if he can accelerate it by 10 years, that would be really good. And it's, it's also neat to hear him say that it's inevitable. I mean, that's, that's certainly an optimistic viewpoint. And he, we know Elon to be a generally optimistic person. So um, the good news is, with, with Tesla hopefully accelerating that transition by at least 10 years, we'll all be part of that uh, as we get Model 3s, if you're not already. Maybe because a lot of you out there are certainly Tesla owners already, and, and some of you, many of you, no doubt have uh, solar, panel, sol- solar panels on your rooftops uh, powering your homes and lives. So all good stuff there. Here's Elon on... Uh, what he wants things to look like uh, or what he thinks things are going to look like with autonomous vehicles uh, in the coming years and and what sort of the next half decade to full decade of of transportation looks like. Hmm. Well, I think things are going to be, they're going to grow exponentially. So there's a big difference between five and ten years. Um, You know, my, my guess is, uh, you know, probably in 10 years, more than a half of uh, new vehicle um, production is electric in the United States. Um, and China's probably going to be ahead of that, because China's been super pro-EV. Um, I don't think a lot of people know this, but, like, I mean, China's environmental policies are way ahead of the U.S., like their mandate for renewable energy far exceeds the U.S. I think this, sometimes people are under the impression that China is uh, either dragging their feet or, or somehow behind the U.S. in terms of um, sustainable energy promotion, but they're, they're by far the most aggressive on Earth. It's crazy. I mean, like, in fact, the a, a coalition of Chinese car manufacturers just wrote the Chinese government to beg for them to slow down the mandate because it's like too much. They, they need to make 8% electric vehicles, I think, like next year or in two years or something. Like, they can't physically do it. Um, so China's the, by far the most aggressive on um, electric vehicles and solar. Um, so, um, but that's a common misperception that they're not. Um, there's one Google search way to figure this out, by the way. It's really pretty, straight, pretty easy. So... And in ten, in ten, yeah, ten years, man. I think, yeah, yeah. So ha- half of all production, I think, will be, be EV. I think almost all cars produced will be autonomous in ten years. Almost all. It will be rare to find one that is not in ten years. Um, that's going to be a huge transformation. Um, now, the thing to bear in mind, though, is that. New vehicle production is only about 5% the size of the vehicle fleet. So you think about how long does a car or truck last? And they last 15 to 20 years so before they're finally scrapped. So new vehicle production is only roughly 
one, at, at most one fifteenth of the, the fleet size. So even when new vehicle production, say, switches over, switches over to electric or to autonomous, that still means the vast majority of the fleet on the roads is not. It'll take another, you know, five to ten years before that becomes majority, the majority of the fleet becomes EV or uh, uh, autonomous. Um, but if you were to say go out 20 years, overwhelmingly things are electric, autonomous, overwhelmingly. Fully autonomous? Fully autonomous. So no one will have to touch the steering wheel if there is one? There will not be a steering wheel. <laughs> In 20 years, um, it will be like having a horse. People have horses, which is cool. Um, but <laughs> so, so having uh, a regular car will be like having a horse. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there will be people that have, that have you know, non-autonomous cars, like people have horses. <laughs> It just would be unusual to use that as a mode of transport. We've heard Elon make the horse analogy before. Uh, it, it certainly got a, a, a good laugh in the room uh, of, of governors. Not a laugh at Elon or at the idea, but just the, the idea. That analogy itself seemed to, seemed to get a chuckle out of the room. But um, I hope he's right about the whole, you know, 20 years, we won't have steering wheels. Uh, that five years autonomous will be everywhere, that 10 years more than half of new vehicle production will be electric. I certainly hope he's right. And I know, obviously, Elon Musk is a whole lot smarter than I am. But and 10 years, just where, from where we are today, 10 years seems a little soon for half of all new production vehicles to be electric, considering that so few of them are now. I mean, what we're at like 1% or something right now. So again, if we're lucky, Model 3 will be the catalyst that Elon had hoped the Model S would be. Again, I've, I've pointed this out a number of times before. Apologies for bringing this back up again. But when Tesla won, when the Model S won car of the year from Motor Trend uh, unanimously in 2012, Elon said, I hope everyone copies us. And then no one did for quite a while. It's only, it's only just now starting to spin up across the industry. So we shall see. Elon was specifically asked about the Model 3 and how things are going. So here is Elon speaking about the status of Model 3 in his own words. It's going well on that front. Um, we got, uh, I don't know, more, I think like if somebody orders a Model 3 today, They'd only get it probably late next year. Um, we just actually just started production, made the first production unit last week. Um, and uh, the thing that is, is not well appreciated about um, something about, about cars and any kind of new technology is how hard it is to do the manufacturing. It is vastly harder to do the manufacturing by a factor of 100, like 100, than to, to make the to make that car, to make one of something. Like, with, with maybe 50 or 60 people, we could make a prototype of practically anything in six months. Um, now to manufacture that thing, we need 5,000 people to spend you know, three years, and that's considered really fast. So uh, manufacturing will, does this kind of S-curve where it's excruciatingly slow at first, and then it 
it grows exponentially. Um, and then, uh, but people tend to extrapolate on a straight line. So if it's real slow at first, they say, oh, this is real slow, look at that. They're only going to make five cars a week forever. Like, nope. Uh, it'll be 10 cars a week, then 20 cars a week, then, you know, 40 cars a week, then 5,000 cars a week eventually. Um, it just grows crazy fast. Uh, so we're hoping to get to, you know, something, uh, you know, like 5,000 cars a week by the end of the year. So uh, interesting to hear Elon suggest that new reservations would be filled at approximately the end of next year, meaning everything's relatively, uh, seemingly, on schedule for now. Uh, I mean, if you go to Tesla's website right now, they are saying delivery estimate for new reservations is mid-2018 or later. So they do, they cover their base there, but Elon is suggesting the later part, that it would be late 2018. Uh, the next, just got a couple more clips for you. In fact, uh, what, one, two, three, uh, three more here from, from that hour and a half Elon Musk uh, chat at the Governor's Association meeting. Remember last year when we got excited because Elon said that the Tesla would probably offer a solar roof option on the Model 3? Yeah, turns out that's probably not happening because... Uh, Elon admitting it's not particularly viable. Here he is explaining the details of that. Yeah, I think the future is it's, there's just this of the stool. Uh, there's uh, electric cars. There's a stationary battery pack um, and solar power. Uh, with those three things, you can have a completely sustainable energy future. Uh, that's, all, that's all that's needed. On the, sol- on the solar front, like I said, uh, it's going to be a combination of rooftop solar and utility-scale solar. Um, you'll need both because of the you know, enormous demand for electricity. Um, and then, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's been missing, I think, up till now is having rooftop solar that looks good um, and isn't, an, uh, you know, um, that, that's where we've got the, the solar glass roof that we're developing. Um, and we're doing it in different styles so that it, it, you know, it matches the aesthetics of a, of a particular house or um, so regional style. Um, that's, I think that's actually pretty important. Um, and um, the conventional flat panel solars will, will, for, for flat roofs and for commercial will be uh, the, way, the way to go. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and, and putting solar panels on the, on the car itself, not that, uh, not that helpful because the actual surface area of the car is not, not very much and cars are very often indoors. Um, and so it's the least efficient place to put solar is on the car. Just wondering about maybe a wrap of some sort. Does that, does that make any sense in the future? Like a, a wrap of solar around either a building made of a solar panel or a wrap of a, of a vehicle actually being the solar panel but being the, the components of the vehicle itself? I, I don't think so. Um, I'll scrap that idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just... Uh, it's just way better to put it on a roof, uh, for sure. Um, and I've, I've really thought about this. I mean, really, and I pushed my team about, like, isn't there some way we could do it on the car? Um, I mean, the, the, technically, if you have, like, some sort of transformer-like thing which will pop out of the trunk like, like, a, you know, like a hard-top convertible and just, like, like, ratchet solar panels over the whole surface area of the car, extending, like, for the entire, say, uh, square footage of a parking space, um, provided you're in the sun, 
that would be enough to generate about 20 to 30 miles a day of electricity. But uh, that is for sure the expensive, difficult way to do it. I love that he's actually thought about turning your car into a Michael Bay transformer, albeit with solar panels. So, I mean, it sounds like Elon wanted to do this, but realized or was convinced by his team that it's just not a viable way forward. So uh, for us, it's one less option that we need to worry about on Model 3. Elon now speaking to the future of electric vehicles in a in a world where gas prices uh, remain relatively cheap. So uh, here he is speaking to that. The, the economics, um, uh, they, they, they kind of set, set the slope of the, the, the curve. Um, so there's no question in my mind whatsoever that all transport, with the ironic exception of rockets, will go fully electric. Um, everything. Um, planes, trains, automobiles. Well, tra- a lot of trains are already electric. Um, all, all ships. Um, and, um, it's, but it's a question of what that time frame is. And the economic uh, incentive structure drives that time frame. Um, that's really what it amounts to. Um, you know, there's... there's the, the, and the big challenge is that there's an unpriced externality in the cost of fossil fuels. Uh, so the un- unpriced externality is the, uh, the, the probably weighted uh, harm that, of changing the chemical constituency of the uh, atmosphere and oceans. Um, it, it's, since it is not captured in the price of gasoline, um, it does not... Uh, drive the right behavior. Um, you know, it'd be like uh, if tossing out garbage was just free, and you know there was no penalty. You just do as much as you want. Then, like streets would be full of garbage. Um, so, um, and we, we regulated a lot of other things like sulfur emissions and nitrous oxide emissions and that kind of thing. It's done, done a lot of good on that front. Um, with CO2, it's tough because there's so many vested interests on the sort of fossil fuel side. Um, and sometimes I think I feel like those guys feel like kind of hard done by because, uh, um, you know, it wasn't obvious like when they were creating their oil and gas companies that it would be bad for the environment. Um, and they worked really hard to create those companies. And then they feel like, well, now they're being kind of attacked on moral grounds. Um, when they didn't originally start those oil companies or, or, or build them up on, on bad moral grounds. Um, and, and, and it is true that we cannot instantaneously change to a sustainable situation. Um, but then those guys will also fight pretty hard to slow down the change. And that's really where I think is morally wrong. So this is another reason why I really like Elon Musk, because listen, at the beginning of that, he actually shows sympathy for the fossil fuel-based energy companies, saying, hey, look, they weren't started with this malicious intent that they were wrecking the earth. But then, you know, (laughs) Elon then goes on to say, well, but now they've, they've, uh, a lot of them have acted pretty, pretty morally uh, reprehensibly. So um, a very honest answer there 
I thought, by Elon Musk on, on uh, the future of electric vehicles in a, in a cheap gas-powered world. The last quote I have for you from the talk here is Elon was asked how he deals with high expectations. And, this, and Elon gets into the stock price here. Uh, so take a listen. Uh, well, it, it is actually, I find it quite uh, tough um, when there are very high expectations. Um, I try to actually tamp down those expectations as you know, to be possible. In fact, I've gone on record several times as saying that the stock price is higher than we have any right to deserve. Um, uh, and that's for sure true based on you know, where we are today and have been in the past. So the stock price obviously ref- reflects a lot of optimism about where Tesla will be in the future. Um, and now the, the thing that makes that um, you know, quite a difficult emotional hardship for me uh, is, is that you know, those expectations sometimes get out of, out of control. And I'm like, I hate disappointing people. Um, and so I'm like trying real hard to meet those expectations, but that's pretty tall order. Um, and uh, a lot of times it's real not, really not fun, I have to say. A whole lot less fun than it may seem. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't ever sell any stock unless I have to for, for taxes. Um, so, you know, I've said publicly, I'm not going to, like, take money off the table. You know, I'll be last. I'm going down with, I'm going down with the ship. So, uh, I'll be the last to do it. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, I really wouldn't recommend anyone start a card company. <laughs> I really wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it's not a recipe for happiness and freedom. <laughs> Elon did later clarify that uh, he thought that the stock price was low based on where Tesla is going. That was sort of the, the part that he clarified later. And, you know, maybe... I'm reading a bit too, which I agree with him, by the way. It's because like, if Tesla energy, if the energy part of the company takes off anywhere near the way the, the automotive part of the company is taking off, then yes, uh, Tesla's future, uh, the stock price uh, is definitely uh, room to grow for sure. And, you know, maybe I'm reading a bit too much into his comment about, about how he hates to disappoint people, but I wonder if that's one reason why he's been pretty reserved and down to earth whenever he speaks about the Model 3. He's never really ever allowed himself to slip into hyperbole or big, big promises. You know, for instance, like he's he's never said that there's going to be a ludicrous version that will uh, blow away. He said that there, there, will, there will be a ludicrous version, but he's never been like, oh, the, our ludicrous version is going to blow away a Ferrari for, you know, a whole lot less money. Or... Because, like, even with the Model X, you know, he talked about how the second row seats were, were like, a, were, were like a, a sculpture. They were like a work of art. And then people got the car, and they didn't fold down flat. And it, the, you know, that was that was a case of form over function, and it, people got mad at him for it. And and in, in a lot of, for a lot of reasons, justifiably so. You know, people want that utility of the Model X, and it, you know, they've now, of course, talked about it on. Uh, last week's show. They've since rectified that. But but I feel like with Model 3, he's been very careful 
to keep everything very grounded, very tempered, and not make any outlandish statements or promises. I mean, probably the closest, the closest thing to a, a hyperbolic statement was the whole spaceship controls thing, like that the steering wheel, the whole that it would be a spaceship-like uh, control, and it's not really like that. <laughs> it's it's just it's a steering wheel with. Uh, two scroll wheels and left and right buttons on either side to presumably to control uh, what's going on on the left, you know, whatever app you have running on the left side of the screen and whatever app you have running on the right side of the screen without having to take your hands off the wheel. And then you, of course, have the 15-inch touchscreen. So, uh, but yeah, I think by and large, Elon's really stayed grounded with the Model 3. And that's maybe him just not wanting to disappoint people. All right, let's move along to the other Tesla news stories for this week. First up, the uh, noted Tesla bull and Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jonas. He, uh, he was wondering this past week why the heck no other car makers are doing over-the-air updates in their cars in the same way that Tesla does. He issued a note to his investors saying, quote, The Model S is old. What's everyone else's excuse? We can understand that traditional car companies have held back on EV commercialization up to this point, given low consumer demand and high losses. But we have a harder time understanding how almost no car companies have brought to market a car that is capable of over-the-air updates of firmware. They continue to sell vehicles that are incapable of learning and improving and are highly vulnerable to obsolescence. Car companies have had ample opportunity to tear apart Model S's in the lab. We suspect Tesla's vertically integrated in-house software capabilities and its willingness to assume risk, uh, or pardon me, assume the risk of hacking, that's what I wanted to say there, assume the risk of hacking, make the difference. And you know, uh, Adam, I think, is completely right on this. I think obsolescence may be a bit too strong of a word, but the always connected nature of Tesla's is, is the very thing that is going to in my opinion, give Elon and the team at Tesla an insurmountable lead uh, in the race to not only achieve level four and level five self-driving, but to refine, improve, and and as much as possible, perfect self-driving. So I I really think that once Tesla gets going, you know, they've really gotten their feet under them now. Uh, There was another autopilot update this week for the fleet, the SNX fleet, uh, the Hardware 2 fleet, I should say, that smoothed out the algorithm, uh, the the steering algorithm, and particularly the lane-changing algorithm a bit, claims to smooth it out. Now, I actually got together uh, with a a friend of mine, Greg, who just traded in his his 2014, so Hardware 1 Model S, and he got a, a brand new Model X, which obviously has Hardware 2 in it. And that was my first time spending any time in a Hardware 2 car. He, Greg was very kind enough to let me drive home from the, the long... <laughs> we, travel, we, we drove a long way to get lunch on purpose. And he, he, he very kindly let me drive his brand new Model X on the way back. And yeah, I we we both... He used Autopilot on the way down there, and I used it on the way back because it was mostly freeway. And I have to say, I, I, had, I had been in Hardware 1 cars, uh, and particularly um, 
the Model X. I've, I've been in that. And I, well, I guess the S as well. But anyway, yeah, I noticed that the Hardware 2 autopilot felt pretty good. It was really the, like it kept the lane pretty well. I didn't think it really ping-ponged around uh, at all. But the one area I did think was a bit jarring were the, the lane changes. I thought they were a, a, bit, a bit sudden. And so it's good to see that that's been smoothed out a bit and, and uh, soft, for, for lack of a better word, softened a bit now. Uh, next this week, there evidently has been a, a bit of a, I don't know if rash is too strong a word, but a bit of a, a run of Tesla thefts in Europe. And now Tesla is working on a software fix to combat the problem. Uh, this story comes via Electrek, and they report that Dutch news site NRC.nl uh, uh, reports that 11 Model S sedans were recently stolen in the country. They talked to uh, Martin Boss, whose Tesla got stolen in uh, a town I'm almost certainly going to butcher here, but it's, it's either... Uh, Hemstead or Hemstead, depending on the, on the right uh, pronunciation there. Anyway, uh, the gentleman's car was stolen last month, and he was told by the police that it was the ninth Tesla stolen in the region that week alone. John McNeil, the head of sales and service at Tesla, actually issued a comment on this, and he said, the method used by the thieves is also used to steal other cars. So it wasn't a unique hack to Tesla. But um, in fact, the hacking issue came up at the National Governors Association meeting that I just got done playing you clips from. Spoiler alert, turns out there was one more clip that I was saving for just this topic. Elon spoke to the topic of hacking uh, with the governors. So here's what he had to say about it. Um, I, I guess uh, risks for autonomous vehicles is somebody achieving um, a fleet-wide hack. Um, you know, in principle, if, if somebody was able to hack, say, all of the autonomous Teslas, they could say, I mean, just as a prank, they could say, like, send them all to Rhode Island. <laughs> From across the United States. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, okay, that would be the end of Tesla. <laughs> um, and there'll be a lot of angry people in Rhode Island, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so uh, we got to make super sure that, uh, that a fleet-wide hack is basically impossible and that if people are in the car, that they have uh, override authority on uh, whatever the car is doing. So if the car is doing something wacky, uh, you can press a button that no amount of software can override that will ensure that the, uh, you, you, you gain control of the vehicle. Um, and kind of cut, cut the link to the servers. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty fundamental. Um, within the car, we actually have, even, even if somebody gains access to the car, there are multiple subsystems within the car that, that, that also have uh, specialized encryption. So the powertrain, for example, has specialized encryption. So even if somebody would gain access to the car, they cannot gain access to the powertrain or to the braking system. Um, and... Um, but it is my top top concern from a security standpoint at Tesla is making sure that fleet-wide hack or any vehicle-specific hack can occur. Well, if there's anyone on the planet that I want thinking about how to protect my car from a hack, it's Elon Musk. <laughs> you know, it's yet another reason to feel good about uh, my plan to get a Tesla as far as I'm concerned. I mean, 
if if you want if you want to look at it really realistically with hundreds of thousands millions more teslas hitting the road in the coming years something is probably going to happen at some point it's it's almost inevitable i think right i mean it's it's just a question of how minor or major it is and how quickly tesla is able to react and deal with it but it was pretty cool to hear elon talk about how the powertrain has its own encryption and the braking system has its own encryption so hopefully nothing nothing bad ever happens and that it, and that if if a hack is inevitable that it's it's you know limited to a local thing not a fleet-wide hack and it's you know something silly like honking the horn or something like that next up uh, if i have any listeners in south korea or if uh, if you have any uh, business there or, or uh, anything to do in South Korea, you'll soon be able to, well, you could always buy a Tesla, but soon you'll be able to buy one with access to that country's very, very generous electric vehicle rebate that Teslas had been very bizarrely exempted from up until now. It is a $23,000 rebate, the equivalent and uh, again, elect this, this story comes via electric. The reason for the ineligibility is pretty ridiculous for anyone familiar with long-range electric vehicles. So for an EV to be eligible for South Korea's incentive, the car needs to be able to fully charge in under 10 hours using a standard outlet. It unfairly gives an advantage to vehicles with small battery packs and shorter ranges, which they're totally right about that, obviously. So uh, this is going to lift in September. So I would look for Tesla sales to spike relative to what they were before in the fourth quarter. And, uh, and by the way, just good, good on the South Korean government for fixing this, for addressing this situation and leveling the playing field. Because after all, the idea should be about, and, I'm, and clearly with the, the government's action here, it is about getting more electric vehicles on the road in South Korea no matter what their battery size is. So uh, hats off to the South Korean government here for, uh, for righting a wrong. A couple more quick things for you. First, a new permit has revealed another of the 40-stall, mega-size, jumbo-size supercharger stations. This one is going to service the LA to Las Vegas corridor. It'll be located in Baker, which is roughly halfway between LA and Vegas. The permit also mentions, it reveals there will be four solar-powered canopies, so, well, canopies with solar panels on them to power the chargers. Uh, so those canopies will sit over the stalls. So since there are four of them, I have to presume that there will be four rows of 10 supercharged st- supercharger stalls apiece. Um, and you know what? And what did I say last week? I thought that they would start on the coasts with this and move inland with these these big jumbo supercharger stations that um, that many of which will have the the sort of convenience lounges to hang out, almost like you know if you're a if you're a, a high tier member of of an of an airline like the you know gold member on you know whatever United or Delta or something that you got that you got that. Uh, 
airline lounge you can go sit in that has you know food and sna you know, snacks and drinks and uh, comfy couches. I, I presume that's what these are going to be at the supercharger stops as well. Just a chance to relax, uh, get a refreshment, and, and gather yourself while your car charges and before you continue on with your trip. Finally this week, this is not directly Tesla-related. Tesla it's in the Elon-verse. I wanted to mention it because it is fascinating to me. Uh, Elon is moving forward with the Boring Company and Hyperloop. Elon tweeted this week, just received verbal government approval for the Boring Company to build an underground New York, Philly, Baltimore, D.C. Hyperloop. New York to D.C. in 29 minutes. City center to city center in each case with up to a dozen or more entry and exit elevators in each city. First set of tunnels will alleviate greater uh, Los Angeles urban congestion. We'll start the New York DC line in parallel, then probably LA to San Francisco and a Texas loop. City of Chicago already has already approached us about doing a high-speed tunnel from O'Hare to downtown. Uh, which if you've ever been into Chicago, you know it's O'Hare's a good bit outside of town and it's it's a bit of a haul and it's it's a, definitely a time commitment to get out there to, whether to get to a flight yourself or pick somebody up. Uh, Elon noting that Chicago has been great. So I mentioned that only because that would be super cool. I mean, who who wouldn't want that? Uh, to be able to zip down, you know, for us in San Francisco, to be able to zip down to LA in what I would have to imagine is approximately 30 minutes or so. Uh, if New York to DC is about 30 minutes, I would suspect San Francisco to LA is about the same. Uh, that means during my annual video game convention, the E3 uh, Electronic Entertainment Expo, I could, take, I could just take uh, Hyperloop back and forth and commute that way and sleep in my own bed at night. That would be great. Not to mention see friends in LA. I would love that. So... Who knows, verbal approval is nothing like actual pen-to-paper approval. But hey, if anybody can do this, it's Elon Musk. Be right back after this with, as usual, plenty of good calls from you guys in the Ride the Lightning hotline. Support for Ride the Lightning and the following message come from Wonder Capital. Wonder Capital's online investment platform allows you to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S., earn up to 8.5% annually while also diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. With Wonder's help, individual investors like you financed more than 50 large-scale solar projects in 2017, which will offset the CO2 emissions from 14.2 million pounds of coal burned in the first year alone. You can begin investing with as little as $1,000, and best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't charge any investor fees. To learn more, create an account for free at wondercapital.com ride. That's W-U-N-D-E-R, wondercapital.com ride. Wonder Capital, do well and do good. Time for your calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline. You can uh, record your question on your smartphone and send me the file at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or if it's more convenient, just give me a call toll-free on the Ride the Lightning hotline, which is set up for you to just call in, you leave a message, and you're done. It's a toll-free number that you can call up anytime, day or night, and that number is one 
888-989-8752. That's 1-888-989-TSLA. So questions, comments, discussion topics, I suspect I'm going to be getting a lot of calls from a lot of you after the big Model 3 reveal on uh, July 28th. So do feel free to call in, be part of the show. I love it. And of course, I remind you that if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. First up this week is Connor from New York calling in about the next-gen Roadster and what he thinks the pricing structure for it will look like. So, Connor, you're on the air. Hey, Ryan. It's uh, Connor from New York. So you were talking about um, the Tesla Roadster and how the uh, actual reveal of it might be a lot sooner than maybe some of us think it would be. Uh, and you started talking about how you think it's going to be a $200,000 car. And at first, my thought was, no, it's going to be less because Tesla's going to have um, their factory up and running by that point. They're going to be able to make these at a much like more efficient speed. Now everything's going to be under one roof. When they had the deal with Lotus, they were much smaller. They maybe had to char- uh, charge it more because they were working with Lotus and they were just trying to get off the ground. But then I started to think, no, it's going to be 200000 I think it's going to be around the two fifty mark, uh, $250,000 if you fully max it out because they're going to get the price point for them to produce it down to such a low point because everything will be in the house, but then they're going to um, bump it up to that $250,000 price point by just going crazy on it, the fastest acceleration possible, because they have it, They have such an efficient way of going to manufacture it. I feel like they're going to work twice as hard to, you know, fill in those zeros to make it a really $250,000 electric, just supercar monster. I don't know. That's just me. But anyway, great show. It's love it every week. Connor, I would not be surprised if the next-gen Roadster did top out at a quarter million dollars. The, I mean, the original Roadster, it had to prove everything. It was basic. Uh, I mean, all, yeah, all things considered, there, it was just a, it was a pretty basic car. And I, I suspect its pricing was as relatively low as it was, you know, $109,000, uh, because, you know, people, anybody that bought a Roadster was taking a huge risk, a hundred and thousand, hundred plus thousand dollar financial risk on this startup company that had built nothing. So, you know, I, I don't think Tesla could have made it a $200,000 car back then if they wanted to. So it was, it was a fairly basic, you know, it was, it was a little sports car with an electric motor in it. That's, that's what it was, but it was 2008 and they did it and it, and here we are. And now Tesla is established. They're known. They are a force to be reckoned with, not only as an automaker, but as a performance automaker. See uh, the P100D for proof of that. So this new Roadster, I feel, is going to be a halo car. The 3, the Y, the S, the X, those are going to bring in the primary revenues for the company, the profits, the main profits for Tesla. I think the next-gen Roadster is going to be Elon Musk's chance to really 
show off with how far Tesla has come. And I think the difference this time is that instead of, as I mentioned, some very fiscally brave early adopters being willing to take a chance on him, with the next-gen Roadster, Elon will have an army of deep-pocketed enthusiasts slash P100D owners who've already paid $160,000 for their fully loaded S, their fully loaded X, and have been very, very happy with their choice. So I agree with you all the way there, Connor. Thank you for the call. Let me go now to Jason calling in about uh, current Tesla owners jumping the line by placing a Model 3 reservation or vice versa. Uh, Model 3 reservation holders buying an S or an X and jumping the line. So Jason, what have you got for me? Hey, Ryan, this is Jason. Just calling to leave a comment about the question last week on the podcast about if a current Tesla model owner would jump the line on a Model 3 pre-order person. I placed a pre-order on a Model 3 about two weeks ago and then did a test drive and really was instantly hooked and went as far as to commit to purchasing a new inventory Model S. I was then advised by the salesman there that my Model 3 pre-order technically would jump the line and basically get into some other type of queue of current Tesla owners who have pre-orders for the Model 3. I agree with you. I feel that that is unfortunate, and I feel that I don't really deserve it, although I am investing more money uh, by purchasing a new vehicle with Tesla. So just to give that comment and give some more insight, again, it's not an official statement. No one knows exactly where we all are in the line, but it was told to me by a salesman there. So keep up the great show, and I hope to hear hundreds of more episodes. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for sharing your experience, Jason. And, And you're right. The word of one sales advisor isn't gospel because with all due respect to your sales advisor and certainly to all Tesla sales advisors, we've seen repeatedly in the past that they don't always give out uh, necessarily 100% accurate information when it comes to stuff like this with uh, like timing things and, and these kind of things because, because these policies are not always communicated out clearly to them by the Tesla mothership. But if your account is correct, the it's... Sounds like indeed the whole buy a Tesla now and jump the Model 3 line perk is indeed still in effect. So thanks for that, Jason. I want to go now to Mark in Cincinnati replying to a call from last week about Model 3's autopilot rollout. Uh, He's got some some, uh, actually information here that that, uh, I learned something new about. So Matt, educate me. Hi, Ryan. Matt from Cincinnati. Um, I just listened to your episode 102 where uh, caller Kyle had asked about the autopilot rollout on the uh, Model 3, whether it'll be immediate or uh, whether or not it would come later. Um, I'm not sure if it's been discussed or not, but uh, all the te- all Tesla's Model S, Model X, uh, they, they require a break-in period of about 50 miles 
uh, in order for autopilot to actually activate. The reason I know this is I, uh, I, I went to the Cincinnati Tesla dealership and was able to, uh, was able to test drive a Model X P100D that was brand new, had just been delivered the night before and only had six miles on it. And the representative told me, unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to try out autopilot because it rec- the car requires about 50 miles of driving in order to calibrate all the sensors and the cameras. And uh, so even if uh, Model 3 releases day one with uh, autopilot software, which I, I would assume that it would, um, you know, people can't go to the the dealership or wherever they go to pick up their car and expect to drive off the lot with autopilot enabled. Uh, it, it takes that, that break-in period for the car to learn uh, about its surroundings. So just wanted to uh, uh, let people know about that experience, and uh, I love the podcast. Keep up the good work, and thanks a lot. Thank you for that, Matt. I, I hadn't heard that before, so I, again, I'm happy to have learned something new about Teslas today. Any day I can do that, that is a good day uh, in my book. I tell you, I even went, not that I didn't believe you, but I even went and looked it up, and what you were told is indeed correct. There is a calibration period for autopilot, so I guess that means that a whole lot of future Model 3 owners will be putting more than 50 miles on their car in the first day. Uh, now, I, I had already planned to do that, so uh, it's good to know that that uh, I it's, it's like a requirement now. You've got to take it out for that initial that maiden voyage of 50 plus miles to get those ca- uh, autopilot cameras and sensors calibrated. So uh, there you go. Thank you very much for that, Matt. Next is Christy in South San Francisco uh, with just a quick show note here. Pardon the bit of navel gazing, but another uh, a number of you have asked about this. So Christy, you're on the air. Hey, Ryan, this is Christy in South San Francisco. Just listened to your last episode 102 and wanted to confirm that, yes, the Ride the Lightning logo uh, or cover art, as you call it, is definitely showing up on the TuneIn app. Uh, It was actually one of the first things I noticed on Sunday when the episode came is, hey, there's a logo. And I couldn't remember if I just hadn't noticed it before. But anyways, it's there. And uh, hopefully you can get an invite to that July 28th event. Um, You've probably seen the invites have gone out to some people. Um, Hopefully I will also be there. I'm hoping to help out and lend a hand. So look forward to it. See you there. Bye. Thanks, Christy. As you and others uh, have noted to me in email, apparently the image quality isn't great on that that show art, that uh, cover art. And apparently it's also still not showing up on certain episodes. So one step forward, one step back, I guess, with uh, with tune in in your Tesla and this, and as far as this podcast goes. But I guess I'll have to get in touch with tune in about it again. But at least there's some kind of art there now for the show where there used to be nothing, and apparently tune in would would just randomly assign something, and it would of course be hilariously wrong. So <laughs> thank you, Christy, for reporting in about that. Two more calls for you. First up, Andrew from the UK wonders how much production capacity remains at the Gigafactory before we'll need another one. Andrew, you're on the air. Hey Ryan, Hendrik from the UK calling. Just wanted to ask you, do we know how much mileage is left in the production capacity of the Gigafactory in Nevada? 
will this be able to give us an indication about when the next one will start being built? Obviously, they don't want to run out of capacity at any point. Thanks, Ryan. Love the show. As big as the Gigafactory already is, Tesla hasn't even come close to maxing it out yet. The building's not done. You know, this this is a question that seems to get asked of Elon on a on a regular basis on quarterly conference calls and the like. And, and I'll tell you, he's usually pretty good about providing an update. So uh, these days, the Gigafactory is only still about 30% finished. And if I recall correctly, when it's done, it's going to be able to produce enough batteries for about a million cars per year. I'm not sure if that figure also includes the Powerwall and power pack businesses, but let's just go with the, the 1 million number for now. So uh, the good news with Gigafactory 1, they are in good shape for at least a couple of years or so until they're ready to bring Model Y online, which Elon, of course, has already said that's going to need its own factory. So thanks for the call, Andrew. Let's finish up with Justin in my home state, my birth state of New Jersey, uh, with, a, with a bit of a warning on the colors we've been seeing on the Model 3. So Justin, take it away. Hey Ryan, in last week's episode, you seemed to suggest that just because we saw all of the colors on the Model 3, that all of the colors will be available. I would push back on that a little bit because it's possible they might have just put all the colors that they have on the um, release candidates just so that they could see what they look like. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a limited color option that they decided on based on how those colors looked on the Model 3 that they produced already. Love the show. Thank you very much. Well, Justin, you are absolutely right. It's certainly possible that Tesla might limit the Model 3 color palette. However, I would add that the Tesla color choices are already pretty limited. Uh, They're all shades of black, shades of gray, along with blue and red. That's, That's pretty much it. So, I mean, I, I could see them maybe taking away the red because it's multi-coat. Uh, but if we went with that logic and removed the two premium multi-coat paint options, that would mean there'd be no white at all available on Model 3 unless Tesla were to reinstate the solid white paint option that they discontinued some months back. I mean, I hope that they won't hold any of the colors we've seen back, and I don't think they will, honestly. In fact, uh, VIN, VIN 7, which VIN number 7, which I mentioned earlier in the show, blue car. Uh, so that car, that's confirmed. Uh, and I think one of the other car, the production cars spotted was the Midnight Silver. So that's official then because it's a production car. So it does seem like all of them will be pr- offered to, you know, on production vehicles. But it is possible. It is possible that one or two of them could be not offered for whatever reason, like I said, whether, whether it's, you know, holding off, not, not giving the Model 3 the, the multi-code options or what, but um, we'll find out on Friday and on the July 28th event. So thanks for the call, Justin, and thanks to all of you, as always, for continuing to call in with your excellent questions, comments, and discussion topics. Again, you can uh, record your question on your smartphone and just email me the recording teslapodcast at gmail.com is the email address to do that. Or just call in toll-free anytime, day or night, on the Ride the Lightning hotline. The toll-free number is 1-888-989-8255. 
888-789-8752. Be right back to wrap things up for you right after this. If you're looking for Tesla accessories for you and or your Tesla, visit abstractocean.com for a great selection of Tesla accessories. Uh, And they are offering listeners of this podcast 20% off of your order. Just use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout for that discount. That's RTLPODCAST, all one word. Uh, If you're buying a Tesla, if you're picking one up, get $1,000 off and free unlimited lifetime supercharging by using Gordon from Hawaii's referral code, which will uh, get Gordon some prizes, get you the money and the uh, unlimited supercharging, and get me the lottery tickets chance that I uh, am happy to have to win a P100D. So the referral code, put this into your your web browser, and it'll take you to the design studio uh, with the code activated. ts.la slash Gordon1872, Gordon spelled G-O-R-D-O-N. Follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. You can email me, teslapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, finally, Patreon. Uh, If you are not already supporting me on Patreon, I would love it if you would take a look at the Patreon page, see if anything strikes your fancy there. Patreon.com slash teslapodcast. Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I want to thank the Patreon producers before I go. The kind folks that support me at the $20 or higher level each month. They are Jeff Bartram, Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassioppo, ZL Klein, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, John Waltower, Scott Gillis, Michael Lucas, Alexi Heft, Lisa Kaz, Michael Oprey, Logan Willis, Matthew Para, Michael Lester, John E. Ford, Robert Miracle, Kyle Stover, Vince Vaughn, John Lasher, Harold Plug, Jason Chalukas, Charlie Payne, Emotion Rentals, Richard Ouellette, Andreas Cohen, and Sean Fournier. Thank you all so much. Uh, most of you hopefully subscribe to this podcast, so it's uh, downloaded right to you each and every week automatically. You can do that on most major podcast services, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or TuneIn, uh, which of course you, know, you can also get the show in your Tesla via TuneIn, or the uh, podcast hosting website, teslapodcast.libsyn.com for uh, individual MP3s as well as the RSS feed. All right, I got to go, and it's uh, the end of another show, but next week should be a real fun, real big show because it will, we will, the Model 3 will be out. How crazy is that? I know, yes, the production will be starting slowly, and that's how it goes, but the Model 3 is officially released. This is the last show where Model 3 doesn't officially exist in the in the wild. Like, it's it's for real, starting with episode 104 next week. That's pretty cool to think about, which means that so many of us will start to receive our Model 3s over the coming months. That is going to be so much fun. So uh, I'll have a lot for you next week. Be sure to tune in, as I know you will. And thank you all so much for your continued support. Happy electric motoring. And I will see you from Fremont, from the Model 3 delivery event, next week.